questions to ask yourself, what am I feeling and and why am I feeling this? And how is it affecting my daily life? The word boundaries just kept on coming to mind because I think boundaries really are essential in taking care of and stewarding our mental health in midlife. Well, hello and welcome again to the Midlife Moms Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. My name is Amelia Rhodes and joining me is my wonderful co-host, Brenda Yoder. Hey, Brenda. Good morning, Amelia. It's a snowy day as we record this and we're excited to chat with you today about a topic that we hear a lot about, maybe we don't talk about, but we have both experienced it and we're guessing that many of you have. And today we just want to chat about midlife mental health, something that we both have gone through. You've heard us hint in previous episodes, talk a little bit about anxiety and panic and how some of that is new in midlife. Many women may not have experienced anxiety or panic in the past and come to midlife and realize, whoa, everything's changing. Life's changing, hormones changing, situations are changing and are overcome by a new anxiety and they don't know what to do with it along with depression. And in the Midwest, you know, as this releases, we are in the dead of winter. And often that means for us, no sunshine, there's seasonal uh, affective disorders, that's sad, and we just don't see a lot of light. And so we wanted to chat a little bit about midlife mental health today. And so Brenda, you want to get us started? Because this is a big topic and you, you know, have a lot of experience and background in this personally, but also as a counselor and just note, this is not, you know, we're not coming at this as counselors. You, if you are struggling, you should seek, you know, professional help. We are chatting today as friends, uh, as your friend, as friends with each other who experienced this. Yeah, no, that's a great um, introduction. And just to, to say, um, I am a therapist and so this is not therapy with Brenda, um, I, I do come with my own journey, but then also, um, from the professional side of walking with a lot of clients and just knowing the parameters, um, regarding mental health, it is really important. I think as we talk about midlife mental health, recognizing all the different dynamics that play into what hits us in midlife that is different from your thirties. Um, different from a season of life when things were more consistent and where things revolved around the opposite end. So the one thing about midlife that I often find interesting is that it has so many parallels to birthing, right? So um, I remember when I was writing Fledge that someone had mentioned, we have a lot of tears, something about when we birth a child, there's there's a lot of tears and, and kind of this joy and yet so much emotion. And it's so similar to midlife when we are releasing our children. And it really is how God has designed our bodies. But in the midst of all these dynamics include very physical contributions, such as hormones and what's going on in your brain and in your body. Um, we also have grief that we've talked about a lot. So differentiating between what is grief that's maybe related to my life stage that may not be hormonal, but so much is hormonal. What is regular depressive episodes such as midlife winter, but then what is something where we really need to say, I need to talk with someone 
Well, talking with someone through all of those different things is very relevant. Um, seeking medication if needed is always a discussion to have with your doctor. Then just being a steward of your own body and soul and spirit mm-hmm. is part of midlife mental health. So that's a big introduction to a lot of different ways we could go with this discussion. It is. And I think, you know, one of the keys to start with is talk, talk to someone. We so often will struggle with something and think we're the only one we, no one else will understand. And so we hold it in. And one of the things about midlife, I think is this might be a whole nother episode, but so many things happen in our lives that we can't talk about with other people because they don't involve just us or because of our position or our, our vocation, or maybe we are public in the community because of various things. We feel like we can't share, um, for various reasons. Maybe it's our husband's struggle, our children's struggle, our family struggle. It's really not our story to share, but it does affect us deeply. And so the first thing I have just found to be incredibly helpful in my own mental health journey is to talk because for decades I didn't, I, anxiety has been, I think a lifelong struggle for me. It really reared its head. And I was first confronted and forced to deal with it after my second child was born that postpartum. And then my second era of really needing to deal with it is again, that parallel of now as my kids are getting ready to launch and it's for a variety of reasons, but it's been very similar journey to my journey when they were little Thankfully, not as severe because I did talk to someone back then. Now I'm able to recognize those signs that you talked about. But that first key I would say is talk, find someone to talk to. For me, the very first person I ever talked to was my doctor. I don't think I even knew what I was looking for or what I was dealing with. I was so out of sorts that I just kind of dumped it all out in, in a meeting with my doctor. And that's when she diagnosed me with an anxiety disorder. And I started to get medication and then counseling, but whether it's a doctor, whether it's a spouse, a trusted friend, um, find someone to talk to first. And that may then lead to professional help, you know, with a doctor or a counselor, but finding someone just so you know, you're not alone um, and to be heard. And there's something about naming the things you're experiencing that bring them to light out of the darkness. And they start to lose some of their power just by sharing. And then they lose their power because you've put it out in the open with someone that you trust. And then you can begin to address them and work towards healing. Yeah. And I think that's really important. And, and I think part of it is being honest with yourself. So for myself, I had postpartum depression with my, with three out of my four children, Um, the, the last one was most significant. And then I had grief and loss the next winter. So my youngest one was born in December, the following late summer, my mother-in-law passed away, who was a significant loss for me. And so, um, in December of that second year, I was experiencing depression. And, um, so for me, winter for a long time was coupled with not only the, the kind of the darkness of the Midwest season during, during the long winter time, but then also grief and loss and, um, just recognizing. So for me, for, for really for a couple of decades, I've had to, I've had to recognize, I have to take extra care for myself. I have to put things in place during the winter season, especially after the holidays that will help me through. But then when my, third one was a senior. I started recognizing 
how tearful I was. I seemed to be crying quite a bit. And that's when I realized what I was experiencing was grief and loss. And that experience drove me to write Fledge because what I was looking for was like, wait a minute, what's happening? I shouldn't be crying. I, I still have two kids at home. And, but yet I was realizing there was so much loss in my life. And then that's when I was realizing, oh, like my body's changing. I don't know what's happening to my body. Is this, what is menopause? What is perimenopause? Um, all of these things. So I think recognizing when you are not just more tearful or feel a sadness and a loss, but then also recognizing, are you more irritable? Are you having a hard time finding joy in regular activities that typically would bring you joy, but then asking, asking the why. And I think that's a really important question is to chase the why, because just because you feel down or just because you're weepy doesn't necessarily mean that you are experiencing mental health issues. Again, a lot of it is associated with life stages or with a season. Regular grief is different than prolonged depression. Um, Regular grief is something you experience. And I think um, when you have significant loss in your life, so recognizing what is grief and then what is prolonged grief that really is more, um, depression, um, is something to talk with a counselor or a doctor about because there are differences. And so with the midlife season come different questions to ask yourself, what am I feeling and and why am I feeling this? And how is it affecting my daily life? Mm -hmm. Um, because that's really the indicator of mental health is when what you're experiencing, what you're feeling is starting to affect your ability to carry on regular relationships, to your ability to carry on your regular daily functions over time, when it's starting to affect um, your, how your performance at work. And I know for myself that when I have experienced, especially winter, so this is winter of 2023 that we're discussing, winter of 2021 to 22, winter of 20 to 21, and winter of 19 to 20, I was really struggling those winters. I wasn't in a season of depression per se, but those winters I was experiencing significant loss. And I have had to name to my husband and um, even to my kids when it is applicable to be able to say, I'm not doing very well. And for me, that statement, and I remember it was about this time in the fall of 2019. So even before COVID hit that I told my husband, um, I remember standing in our kitchen. I just said, I just need you to know I'm not doing very well. And then to be able to explain to him what that meant. Um, and if I had an indicator of why I wasn't doing so well, and I was able to, at that point, um, a lot of it was, that was, I guess our first fall after our youngest went to college. So our, I guess our, our true empty nest season for the first time, but then also recognizing for myself at the time that I was experiencing a lot of caregiver burnout too. That's a big one. Yeah. 
So for me, um, as a caregiver for my profession, I have to be vigilant about my own mental health. I have to constantly be working on having the things in my life that don't consistently drain me, which means that my, my funnel of activities that I do and people I interact with becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. Actually, as my midlife changes, as my children's lives expand um, into marriage, you know, marriage, grandkids, um, so that who I pour out to in my personal life is expanding. I'm finding that my personal life and my professional life becomes smaller because I do need to have good mental health and energy for the relationships that are most important to me, which means that I, I can't do all the things I did before or pour out to all the people I did in the past, because I just have to really be vigilant about the balance of what's coming in and what's going out. You covered a lot of really great things in there. And one of them that stood out was putting things in place when you recognize that why. And for me, that's been, oh, when I can't explain, when I wake up and I haven't even had a thought in the morning, but my heart's already racing, then I know my physical body is responding to anxiety, to stress, to panic. And it's not just something that I'm thinking about. I can't give a why to it. When I wake up and my heart's you know, racing and my thoughts are already racing and I haven't even thrown off the covers and put my feet on the floor. So that's become an indicator for me. Like, oh, I've reached a threshold that's not okay. Um, There's no logic to it. There's no why. And so then I know um, that's when I need to be diligent about my mental health and put things in place. So I'd love to chat a little bit about what things we can put in place in midlife because you can't predict what's going to happen in a day. So many things are changing so fast. So many things outside of your control that you can't control things, but you mentioned something here about caregiver burnout. Uh, You it's for your profession, but for many of our women, I think it's, you know, you're caring for your children. You're might be caring for your spouse. You're also caring for your parents. There might be grandparents still in the picture. It's that sandwich generation where you are caring for everyone around you and maybe aren't caring for yourself as well as you should. So things that we can put in place, you talk, we've talked about talking to someone, having a trusted person that you can share with uh, a friend, maybe that's a counselor, a doctor. We've talked about being careful with your activities, just knowing what drains you and what fills you. And that has been something that I have really had to pay attention to as an introvert who is also in a a profession where there's a lot of caregiving, a lot of caring for people. And also the midst of caring for my children. And then we have parents we're looking out for. So reducing your activities or the things that drain you is been a huge key for me as well. Just being careful on my days that are mine. And that's another thing that I've done is I've set aside a day a week. That's truly about Sabbath. And it's not about productivity. It's not about a list of rules and regulations, but it's about what fills me. And each day I, that I have set aside, I wake up like, what fills me? What do I want to do today? How can I pour into myself to refill my cup as I've poured out so much? And I, I think I've mentioned this before. I keep a running list of things I've thought of or things I'd like to do, but don't always have the time and things that recreate me. And one of those is 
making sure I'm connecting with other people that maybe I don't get to see throughout the week who I enjoy being around. We plan something fun, whether it's a coffee date or going exploring an orchard in the summer, just something fun. So those are a couple of things I've done. And then I too remember a year, probably about 10 years ago, I was heading into the new year, that post-holiday letdown. Vocationally, I'd had a lot of disappointments that year and I, I felt like a failure. I was walking into the year and I felt like a failure. And I started to spiral into that blues, but beyond the blues into a bit of depression. And I said, you know what? I just need to take a moment and reflect on the year. And this has become a yearly ritual for me where I kind of refocus on what happened in the past year, because I think we can get to a certain period of year and there's not a lot of sunlight and it's the post-holiday letdown. And all you can see is the treasury of, you know, the next few months until the next big adventure, maybe spring break, maybe a summer vacation. And so I sat down, opened a fresh journal for the year. And I took, I don't know, an hour, however long it took and just went through my calendar for the past year and just wrote down really a long gratitude list for all the things. And so many of them I'd forgotten. Oh, you did this thing. Oh, you had a get together with that person. You reconnected here. You, you actually did. You got published here. Just all the little things that maybe I had forgotten through the year and ended up with pages and pages of gratitude and just started my year. Like, you know what? There were a lot of disappointments. I acknowledged that there were a lot of discouraging things that happened, but wow, there were also so many good things that had gotten overshadowed by those big disappointments and by those big letdowns. And so I start every year with a fresh journal and pages and pages of what I'm thankful for, truly going through my calendar to try and remind myself what happened in the previous year. And that's been a good way to start my year. And then something to look back on, you know, year to year, I often will go back to the previous year's journal and kind of look at that list as I start the next one for the next year. But being intentional about our triggers, our warning signs, and the people and the activities that we do and knowing that it's okay. Now there's a difference between reducing your activities and maybe limiting your social engagements, if that's part of your thing, and isolating. And that's something I want to be aware of and careful is that we don't isolate ourselves because that's one of the worst things that we can do when we're struggling with mental health. You gave some very practical, proactive. I think those those practices that you just mentioned are very proactive. And I think that's really important because when we have to react with our mental health, it becomes harder to try to dig ourselves out of that hole or to, um, it becomes more debilitating, I think, when things hit us. And I think the hard thing that I really want to acknowledge that you mentioned is that in this season of life, we can't predict how the events of other people's lives, which are attached to our lives affect us. And so that's why the proactive rhythms in our life are so important. And I think this is a midlife shift that is really important for us to talk about because when your kids are home, when you're in your twenties and your thirties, you're, you're really about creating your life. And then all of a sudden you get to your forties and this is your life. And you realize this is my life. Um, I don't know how much more of my life is going to be like this anymore. And it quickly changes. And so many things just abruptly stopped or, or change. And just for an example, in our own life, um, we have four children. And in the past year, we've had a new baby, we've had a, a wedding, and we have another baby that's coming up. And we've had some un- 
some other unexpected events happen in our family life that have been both good, but then also very, um, very, very hard. So we don't ever know when something that affects someone we love so much that we're so attached to is going to impact us. So I think being proactive with a lot of the things you just mentioned is really, really important. I think also recognizing as women in midlife, again, that hormones, the things that are happening in our physical body that we don't have control over play into that. So I would also suggest just going to your doctor or going to um, someone who specializes in midlife health for women. I did that actually last year and lo and behold found that I have zero estrogen in my body at all. And I knew that, but um, it does explain a lot of the swing of moods, a lot of the feeling of being out of control with anger or irritability or um, feeling depressed. So all of those things really are real. Um, having to look at our nutrition is really important. Our nutrition plays a role in this area of our life. Exercise plays a role in this part of our life, but then also thinking about relational things. And I think at this time in our life, things that also affect our mental health are relationships that we perhaps have put on autopilot or we haven't, we don't know really how to navigate very well, even our marriages, our relationships with our teen and adult kids. As I was listening to you talk, Amelia, the word boundaries just kept on coming to mind because I think boundaries really are essential in taking care of and stewarding our mental health in midlife. Um, And if you're not familiar with boundaries, I know it's kind of a buzzword. People really don't know what it looks like. We kind of think what we kind of think that looks like us saying no to things. And that's part of it, but it really isn't all a part of it. Um, But I would encourage anyone to look at Boundaries by um, Townsend and Cloud, any of their books. But then also Dr. Allison Cook has a lot of resources on boundaries for women. I think for women in midlife, kind of what we've done for, for two decades, caring for our family, it shifts so dramatically in midlife that we are lost. We don't know what boundaries look like in this new season. And without really recognizing what is ours to carry and what's, what is not ours to carry as it relates to our children, even our parents, even our spouse mm-hmm. can drastically affect our mental health. And I know just for myself, I have been on a journey to really, even though I've been adamant about boundaries, I've really realized how, how much I have been felt responsible for other people's emotions, for, for my, my, my parents' emotions, for my children's emotions, for my husband's emotions, and how I am learning that now that we're all adults, what's mine to own and what's not mine to own. And that's, that's a new journey for me, even though I am in the field of mental health, mm-hmm. there's always the practice of putting all of those things in place in our own relationships also. I think that's so important. And, you know, boundaries, picking up for ourselves in appropriate ways. And there have been moments with my teenagers when they're going through all their hormones and all their anger, but I said, Hey, that's not okay. Like you, you can't talk to me that way, or that hurt my feelings, or, you know, I get that you're frustrated, but please don't speak to me so mean. And sometimes that works. And sometimes it doesn't, there's a difference between 
you know, I think a healthy relationship and then those that have really gone out of control and are unhealthy, again, having a place and someone to talk to, but speaking up for your needs, speaking up for yourself uh, when you need to, and being proactive and being like, Hey, this is not okay. You can't treat me this way or talk to me this way, or this isn't acceptable, but that proactiveness is so important. I think even if you don't struggle with your mental health, putting things in place, healthy boundaries in place, healthy activities in place are so, so helpful and important. And I just want to encourage you that if this is not something you struggle with, you certainly have friends or family members that do. And it can be so hard to know how to help someone or come alongside them when you don't know what it's like when you haven't struggled with depression or anxiety. And I think the thing to know is it's okay. You don't have to have experienced it to love them well and just come alongside. And a lot of it is just listening and not trying to fix, just being there, being present, even making yourself available. Like, Hey, if you're having a blue moment, if you're having a down day, all you have to do is text me and say, Hey, I'm not doing great today. And I'm here for you. Even if it's just a prayer and a text response, but having those people and you can be one of those people and it matters so much. So just even knowing it's okay. If you don't struggle with it, you can be there for someone who is struggling and just your presence and coming alongside them, loving them where they are. And just knowing that you're a safe place for them, that you're not going to judge, that you're not going to try and fix can matter so much and can make a difference, a huge difference in someone's life. But I often talk to people who are like, I just, I just don't get it. I just don't understand. And you wouldn't, you, you really can't because from the outside, it doesn't make a lot of sense. You might look at someone's life and think, why are you depressed? Why are you anxious? There doesn't seem to be anything like quote wrong. And I think that's why we see, um, you know, people's lives who look so good on social media. And then you hear that they took their own life and we're all just shocked. That's the thing to keep in mind is we don't know what someone is going through truly behind the scenes, what their inner struggle is. And I know for myself, not even my husband knew how deep my own struggle was until I shared. And so being a safe place for people to land, to be open with can make such a difference in someone's life. I think in the Christian community, especially as Christian women and and moms, we don't have this model very well for us. I'm just going to name it. Um, I think we're socialized, especially those of us who are in our forties and fifties, who majority of us are Gen Xers um, or young baby boomers. Um, We have not seen it modeled well for us. Our socialization was that women are to be happy and they're to serve. And that is the climate of the home and that we are to be about, we're supposed to be that Proverbs 31 woman, right? And she's up and she's doing all these things and she sets the tone for our house. And so how dare she down? How dare she speak up for her needs? Because if she does, well, then her whole family is going to fall apart. Like literally that's the, that's how I was socialized as a young mom. That perception was what I took on as my mantle to be that godly Christian woman. When I was a young 20, um, something and a young, uh, young wife, a young mom, it was to do, do, do. And the more you did, the more godly you were. And, um, I've even had someone say to me something about, well, you know, your, your tone sets the, sets the standard for the home. Okay. So if you are struggling with anxiety or depression, and I can't tell you how many women I have 
listened to um, through speaking engagements when I talk on mental health or when I talk to young moms or people who I have worked with through coaching or counseling who have said, I don't know how to speak up for myself. Or if you do, you feel such shame and guilt that you're a failure, that somehow if you aren't that highly productive, highly cheerful, um, very feminine and Mary, Mm -hmm. mother of Jesus, who has the halo around her head, unless you're her, um, you're not a good Christian woman. And so I think it's really important. And I'm so grateful now that there are more authors, more speakers, more people talking about mental health for women. Um, but we still, I think in our daily interactions and especially in the Christian community and in churches, mental health still has a very high stigma attached to it. And especially for women, especially for women of our generation, I think maybe those who are younger, it's a little bit more permissive to mention your mental health, because I think the millennial generation has maybe been that generation that has pushed the envelope. Or actually, I think, I think Amelia, those of you really in the younger Gen X generation have been very good at saying, this is not okay. We need this. Um, And I've been grateful for that because I think 10 years ago, when I was struggling with some things there was there were no voices around when I was in my early 40s. And your generation, I think in their early 40s currently are doing very well at saying, we're not gonna just sit down and, and let this happen to us. This is a need we have. Yeah, and I, I'm on staff at a church and I um, work in women's ministry and I've been honest about my own journey as we have opportunity to share our own story and our own testimony. And every time that I'm honest and share, Hey, this is, I'm in leadership. I love Jesus and I battle anxiety. Every time I I'm able to share just a tiny piece with that women of all ages come up to me. And it's kind of like this, like, Oh, like, thank you so much. They feel seen, they feel heard. And they also know it's okay. And one thing that we can link to in the show notes, but I'm so grateful that our church did this past summer was a series on navigating emotions. And we talked about four of the big emotions that we navigate and we all experience one of them that we will struggle with probably our entire lives. Another that will be somewhat of a struggle. And then the other two may not affect us as much, but it's the way God created us to experience emotions. And then also we all have our struggle. And so there was one that they did on navigating fear, which talked a lot about anxiety and worry and another one on navigating sadness, dealing with depression. And so we can link to those in the show notes, but to know throughout scripture, we see a lot of people who loved God with all their heart, mind, and soul, and they struggled deeply with anger or depression or sadness and um, anxiety. I think that's why I love the book of Psalms so much. So often in there, you see the full range of emotions in the book of Psalms and in Lamentations, we see lament as we grieve and we take all of our emotion to the Lord. And I think that God never intended for us to hide it because that's how we end up isolated and feeling like we're alone and then we can spiral from there. So I think that's a great place for us to start to land this episode. Yeah. And as we do land this episode, I do want to say that um, one of the reasons why um, this podcast has such big gaps, maybe in between our seasons or why we are, are not 
um, personally as active in our Facebook group as what we would ideally hope to be is that um, we are practicing what we're preaching. So um, Amelia and I both work full-time um, in jobs that are not podcasting. Um, and in order to protect our own mental health and in order to serve others um, in our jobs, in our families, um, but also through ministry, through podcasts, through um, writing, we're both writers, um, is that we can't be on social media all the time. Our, our mental health is not steward best by being on social media. And currently as we're recording this, um, and probably as it airs, I'm taking kind of a sabbatical from, um, from my author and speaker platforms, um, because I am working on a new book and, and Amelia, I know you're right there too, because Um, five years ago, 10 years ago, you and I actually taught social media workshops together at writers conferences. And we have to really always look at what is most important right in front of us. But we do want to say that those communities, though, our Facebook community um, is there to encourage and support everyone. And part of that is saying that these communities don't rely on one person. It doesn't rely on you. It doesn't rely on me. It's, it's a community and we're there to help each other. Yeah. So we encourage you, if you're not in our Facebook group, you haven't joined that yet. You can search midlife moms podcasting community on Facebook. We'll link to it in our show notes as well. We'd love to have you join us there. We've got over 900 women who share, who ask questions. We pray for each other. And even though Brenda and I aren't as active there as we would like to be or used to be, just know that you can always post a question. You can always ask something, share something that you found to be helpful as well. It's a great community of support and encouragement. And so thank you for joining us again. Just know that you're loved. You're not alone. And if you are struggling, please do seek professional help. Talk to your doctor, talk to a professional counselor and, or call a hotline. If you're in a place where you truly are in crisis, just know that there is help, there is care and we love you and we would love to hear from you in the Facebook group. How do you take active care of yourself? How are you proactive in your mental health? What things have you found helpful and how did this um, conversation today resonate? We'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate you all.